Hello, and welcome to Oddcast. I thought I would begin this episode with a quote. Here it is. I am happy for people to talk about my pictures, but I wish devoutly that I was not expected to talk about them myself. British painter, printmaker, Howard Hodgkin. Loading artists Audio inside Loading artists Audio inside Oh, it's Oddcast, it's Oddcast, it's Oddcast Yeah, yeah, yeah Listen by your easel, maybe you can grab a chair Or even take it with you like you ain't got no care Loading artists, audio inside. Loading artists, audio inside. So sit back and relax and grab your headphones too. Adjust your volume, it's Oddcast. Philip J. Mellon welcomes you. So sit back, oh yeah, it's Oddcast. Loading artists, audio inside. Loading artists, audio inside. So I'm sitting here with Oakland-based artist Kimberly Rowe. Kimberly, welcome to Oddcast. Thank you. Thank you, Philip, and thank you for uh, inviting me to do this. I'm really excited. Oh, sure. You're welcome. My first question, what were some of your first art experiences, and when do you feel like you got serious about it? My very, The first one I can think of was when I was a little girl, <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, and my mother and I used to make things out of clay. And yeah. also I remember, um, you know, like drawing her and now I look back and I think how important that was that like, you know, I was always really encouraged to make art or to do, I also acted as a kid and did all sorts of things like that and really, um, didn't realize that people could be artists. Like it just was something I did, but it wasn't like an, you know, there was no title to it. Um, and so it really wasn't until, um, much later that I, accepted that that was the thing that kept feeling like there was a void there was some void that I was searching to fill and so I think it was I started teaching art and when I started it, to high school students and that experience really opened me up because I learned so much from them and and realized how much um, it affected them to see me being a working artist which I, I didn't even you know, they just knew I made art and I talked about art and I read about art and I looked at art. I took them to museums on my days off on Saturdays because they didn't, there were no uh, field trips and they'd never been to a museum. So those kinds of things made me feel like being an artist meant something, you know, and uh, because it can so easily be passed off as a hobby or passed off as this thing that someone does. I mean, I've heard people say that and I've also heard parents in when I taught sometimes um you know not wanting their kids just to be involved in art because it wasn't practical 
or something like that. And so it's easy to feel that sometimes it has been for me. And, and then, but then I think about how much it's affected me to look at people's work and study. I really like, I'll go to a museum and really like fall into the work and stuff and, and how much it really transforms me. And, and sometimes when I hear like someone else talking about their own work and they take it super seriously, it has made me think differently about it. And, um, that has just informed me over and over and over again and, and made me recognize how much it means to me uh, to be a part of that, walking the same path as other people who are doing what turns me on. Yeah. Next, Kimberly Rowe talks about her experiences in graduate school and how things got serious and experimental. Painting is a different thing. Painting, I, I, got, I started grad school. In two, I left teaching midstream I was teaching for a year while I was going to grad school I started in the summer MFA program and went to full-time and when I transferred into the full-time program I uh, it was I was a sculpture major actually oh yeah um, and the I was always sort of pushed away from wanting you know, like if I said I wanted to paint they were like well you know it's kind of I think they thought it was too late for me to like switch to midstream, but also uh, they would continuously tell me I would have the history of painting to contend with and that that was somehow something that like, you know, sculpture or new genres or any of those kinds of things didn't have so much visible history. And so um, they thought that that would be easier for me to deal with. And of course, I always take up the hardest challenge. <laughs> so, and, and so I really pushed that on it, but really kind of was trying to figure things out. And when I, uh, my last semester of grad school, I decided I was either going to sink or swim. Like they were either going to fail me because I uh, didn't know exactly what I was doing or I was going to excel. And so I, made a faux body of work. Like I made these paintings. I had never really painted. I, I, mean, I painted in undergrad and I um, was a printmaker. So I had done 2D work, but um, I had never really like done bodies of painting work. Um, and so I made these faux bodies of, you know, and took them in for any of the crits so that they could like kill me on the crits <laughs> and wouldn't like kill me, my soul. And so, um, at, and then I took all of my dining room furniture out and, pla and put plastic up all over the dining room and made day and night, um, like I'd wake up in the middle of the night and go and do another, you know, pass through the, the work and made these giant paintings. And as part of my show, I also did a big sculptural piece, but um, that really became my, uh, I don't know, it just did something it empowered me doing that yeah. empowered me. And I, I, right before, you know, my last crit group, uh, crit class ended, I showed the work and I got a standing ovation in the class. And the teacher said, this is like you, you were birthing something, <laughs> you know, like they could feel that. And that was like super powerful for me. And then once I got out of grad school, I actually went and started taking painting classes and stuff and started teaching myself and going to every art opening and art show and every I started going to New York and going to LA and looking at stuff and studying it sort of teaching myself how to paint and 
that became super serious. And I, in, I'm sure that there are so many people who do other things besides painting who are totally gratified by that. But for me, I found that when I'm actually painting, that is so amazing to me. It's such a transformation in my being that um, that's like it for me. That became, and so it's super serious now. I really, you know, like I love to come to my studio. Does making work bring out the worst or the best in you? <laughs> um, I think it brings out the best in me, uh, for sure. I mean, I, it it's interesting because uh, the wording is bring out, and I think about, like, it also is purging some of the worst in me, probably. I think it's, like, the best therapy. It's so therapeutic to, to paint. And, yeah. um, I mean... Not that I want it to necessarily always be a therapeutic thing, you know, um, but it, but it is anyway for me, you know, and, um, and especially when I'm working on like a lot of times with bigger work, I feel like my whole entire body goes into that work and that, um, there's something that's like, like exercise or something and exorcise too, you know, like uh, yeah. it really does something there. And I mean, it, over a period of time, I can look back and see so many transformations from it. But um, but during it too, like it's so much fun for me. Like I, I feel like I'm like dancing, and and that's great for me. What do you spend the most time doing? Looking, making, or thinking? As it relates to painting, of course. Of course. Um, well, I'm gonna say thinking uh, I, I started when I've thought about that before like I'll go oh, I do a lot of looking I do I go through periods of looking a lot you know looking at other people's work looking at my work it's, um, I, I pause a lot of times and will just look at my work or sometimes I'm not in a space to be able to paint but I'll sometimes come to my studio and just sit and look at it for a little while and just like kind of think through things or whatever. Um, well, at the same time, my work's really intuitive, so it doesn't um, necessarily come directly out of, I mean, the, the thinking isn't necessarily how to, how to um, make the painting. It's just, you know, there's something going on underlying that is um, important in the process, you know, like the incubation of, of it. But, uh, but I would like to say that um, you know, the, in the making, I've learned so much from that. And then in the thinking part, uh, I think about like, um, someone whose work recently I've really uh, been looking at is, um, uh, Joe Bradley. And I, I, I read something about Joe Bradley that it said like, he's like this, it was an interview. I mean, it was sort of a guy talking about going to the guy's studio and, and, and going to Joe Bradley's studio and, and calling him, I think they called him like a tortoise or a turtle or something like that. Oh, yeah. That, you know, like he's super slow in the actual coming to the making part. And I think yeah. I'm like that too. Like, I mean, I would love to be this person who just like jumps in every single day and like does the painting. But I think I like even to prepare myself before I start, I'm thinking, you know, like thinking about stuff and looking at other things and or sometimes just like skimming through a uh, an art magazine or 
you know, a, or an art uh, monograph or something like that, you know, just like something to spark my sensibilities and stuff. How do you think scale affects the work and do you work in varying sizes? I do work in varying sizes, but I think my, like what I would do, what I feel really awesome doing is really big work. And that was true when I was making sculpture also or installations. Like my grad show, I made a huge installation of a wall um, that was made out of a window screen. And I sewed hollow bricks, like probably like 1500 hollow bricks at wow. the exact size of a regular brick um, with window screen and uh, fiberglass window screen. And, and then sewed it into columns and then sewed it across into a wall and then lit it from one side. And um, so the one side that was lit looked completely solid and the other side was translucent. And that was like 12 feet by 16 feet, I think. Well, a lot of times people will tell me like uh, my bigger work, they'll say like it looks um, a theatrical or something like that. And I think about, you know, I, I acted when I like, even as a kid, I acted like I would for summer school, I would take like an acting class or something like that. And so I think I sometimes think in terms of like the state, like looking at a stage, you know, yeah. and the, and the uh, curtain coming and stuff. And that piece actually looks like a curtain in a lot of ways. And I've been noticing it again in the bigger work that I've begun making again. And that like, it has something to do with like feeling enveloped by it. I like that feeling of like, it is two dimensional, but it, there's a three dimensionality of it with it. Uh, um, like I look up and it's, it's above me, you know, I look sideways, it's across, you know, and it reminds me of being in Berlin and going to the Holocaust museum. And there's this really touching, amazing, like I was there in January. So the plants and things I think that are supposed, it's like supposed to be kind of a garden and it's outdoors and it's made of cement and the, and the walls are like way up high, like maybe 25 feet high. Maybe, maybe I'm imagining it might be shorter, but the way they've got it, I think it is designed so that it kind of comes inward just a little bit. And so something's imposing, you know, and there's a sense of like this being pulled, you know, pushed in and and try and being watched or something like that. It's amazing. And I think of that a lot of times when I'm making big work that like that, um, that I want people to experience it like they're walking into it. And so that's, that's one thing. And also when I make big work, I often work on the floor. So I'm like crawling around on it. I'm like, you know, reaching and walking on it. Like I'm just, oh my gosh, this last time that I did it, the painting behind me actually started on the floor and I was like pouring things. And I, what I was doing was I was working on this painting. I was working on this same wall with that one. And then this, the one that's here was on the floor. And so sometimes what I do is I try to like, uh, let residual stuff get on my piece so yeah. that, um, I'm not having to make all of the decisions and then I have to respond to it. So anyway, um, that one I was walking back and forth and sometimes I was looking at that painting on the wall while I was walking. So I'd back up to look at it and then I'd be like squishing through <laughs> the stuff in bare feet. Like, so I have <laughs> in the paintings and stuff, you know, so that, and then um, I, I wanted to say also about the scale. Um, 
that I also work with a lot of small things. I go in spurts, like sometimes, you know, like I haven't been working on super small stuff in a while, but when I do, that also teaches me a lot. Like uh, you can get through stuff a lot faster, you know, and there's something very personal about the tiny paintings. Like I remember um, in grad and uh, undergrad, my teacher talked about, I'm forgetting the name of the artist, but it's uh, that it's a man in turban or something. And it's like this big and I got to see it in person. And he was right. He talked about how like it reads as a big painting. Yeah. There's, there's something powerful about it. And a lot of times people will tell me like, Oh, I saw that on your website and I thought it was huge. And it was only like, you know, yeah. two feet or something. And there's something about that. And I think that if you play back and forth with big and, and small, that it can um, affect the, you remember things about like, you know, the big can go back to, uh, you, you might want to scale things down so that it has a bigger feel or maybe not even intentionally, but you're, you know, you think differently. And I read somewhere, I think it was Joan Mitchell said that, no, it was Helen Frankenthaler, I think, that said something like, um, if uh, every great piece of art has a sense of depth. Now, I'm not sure if that's true, but she, when I look at her stuff, I think of that she did, her work's shallow. I mean, it's not like she's like creating like, you know, one point perspective or whatever, you know. Um, she's not doing perspective in that sense, but there are, there is, um, a shift in, in, you know, scale and also a shift in scale with the negative space. Those things all kind of, uh, create a puzzle sort of. So I, I think that scale is one of the most important things for me. Next, I share with Kimberly what I see in her work, my responses and reactions. You know, just looking at your work that you sent to me, I feel like there's talk about like space and I'm, tr I just, I'm looking at my notes. So I'm trying to make sense of it. <laughs> that it'll like translate. Me too. <laughs> um, there, there's a sense that like they're, they're kind of, they're definitely more airy than some of the, the earlier images that I saw of yours. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're, they're kind of environments, like especially the four new ones, uh -huh. like they're, even though a lot of the marks and everything advance to the viewer, uh -huh. it's still inviting to me. Oh. Like as if I was entering this imagined place <laughs> that you may have to move, you know, some vines away, but you can still see what's on the other side. So it's not intimidating or like, it's not hiding what's on the other side of wherever you're going. <laughs> now, <laughs> I really sense. appreciate that you recognize that. Thank you. Because I mean, these are like a surprise to me, kind of, and new to me. But yet, uh, what what I've been noticing is that I, there's been a certain and a certain sort of uncertainty in my life recently. My father's been ill, and and I take care of him, and so watching someone decline and then you know come back and forth because he's been in and out of the hospital, um, it really kind of pulls the extraneous things out of the way kind of, or for me, like, I don't want to, um, cover everything up anymore. I kind of want to like lighten the load sort of. And so I, I was where I was feeling sort of heavy in some of my work, like for a couple of years, like there's this one piece that I did that wasn't even that long ago, maybe, uh, six or eight months ago, but it was one of the paintings that took me a, a long, like 
I've had it in other shows, but, and it looked completely different. And like in the end, I like covered this huge amount with like um, black oil paint. And I hadn't worked with oil paint in a long time because of the, I can't use the solvents, but I was like, it felt good. It was very physical. And that part felt good, like to put that on, but it covered like the entire space. And I thought, I don't want that anymore. Like I want there to be, uh, I, I've stopped like, cutting my pieces apart as much and stuff. I'm having, it's like one big full thing. It's, um, if, and I look at them and I'm like, well, I don't want them to be like representational spaces, you know? Yeah. And I'm, so I'm not really aiming for that, but what I'm doing is like being more direct. Like there's only so much time in life kind of thing, you know, like there's yeah. only so much time and you got it, you know, I want to say what I mean and mean what I say kind of thing. And so I'm kind of like, I'm really enjoying using the um, raw canvas because it's... I was going to ask you that if it was raw canvas. Yeah, yeah it's raw canvas, yeah. and that has poses a challenge in a way um, because it creates um, friction. So that, in a way, is a, uh, that creates a dichotomy for me because I'm here I am wanting it to be freer and more direct, and then it's creating friction, which to me is sort of an argument, you know, like... <laughs> arguing with canvas somewhat but it starts that way and then it kind of like builds once it starts to build a relationship you know it starts to be less difficult but um yeah so i'm, I'm looking up at one and looking up at this one this one is a little different because there's a little bit more paint on it actually than like the this other one there's something about the raw canvas that still uh, because i've worked with uh, um fabric several times in my sort of shortish career that I, I wanted to make sense of why I was using the fabric. A problem with the fabric for me in that it's, well, one is that all the sewing takes away from the actual mark making, but also that it's, um, it has its own history or whatever. It has its own color. Those things can be good and they can be bad. And, but what I found was that it's the ruggedness or the rawness of the, of the thing. There's like a, you know, a physicality to it that if I work with the raw canvas, for one thing, it lightens things up. You know, it like, it's its own thing. It's like working on paper, you know, in a way where, um, you know, the, the white can be the, you know, the atmosphere or the negative space if you want it to be. And then just like um, playing on it. Like, I feel like I'm playing on the space and that, it, and so I, I'm not necessarily saying like, it is gonna be vines or whatever, you know, it's not that, but I'm, but I'm getting that too. Like, um, like I said, it's a surprise for me. So it, there's something that I'm still re retaining, like the um, palimpsest quality. Like in a lot of my paintings, you can see layers of things. And so I, I think some of that is still there. Like those marks are still there, and I'm, but I'm letting them stay there. I'm not covering them up. I'm not, not obscuring them or wiping them out. Sometimes I'm building on them. And so it's not like completely like in the one right behind me, you know. Is that purple rain? No, purple rain's on that side. Purple. Oh, okay. I'll be your left. Rain, okay. Purple rain with R E I N G N uh, R I G N uh, as the last part. Um, but this one, I'm still trying to figure it out. My husband suggested I call it sexy MF, which because it had something to do with prints, but. Um, but it doesn't really feel like that's the right name. I'm trying to figure out what it is. So, but um, yeah, so, so thus far it's untitled and in parentheses, 
sexy MF just so that I have that cue <laughs> to, to think. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's something about the traditional way of using foreground, middle ground, background, and some of your more opaque work. And you, you're, you're, you seem, from what I've seen, you always seem to be doing a lot of over, overlapping, mm -hmm. um, especially the one behind you. And they're, they're still hap to me in the new paintings. Mm -hmm. But like I said, there's just, I'm trying to get at what I want to say. It's hard, but um, like there's some kind of message there, you know, like it's like an introduction to um, an intro to the painting itself, like what's on the foreground, if that makes any sense. Like the, the calligraphy where I feel like there is something that I'm trying to be told or that I'm being told and I can't, you know, I, I, it's saying something to me, it'll be different to you. It'll be different to another viewer. Right. Um, but it's just the fact that there is something being said in mainly in the foreground, even though there is some overlapping and there is some sort of, uh, of course the, you can't get away from really the background, middle ground, foreground. Um, but like I said, there's like, there's almost like enough there, but yet there's room for the viewer to do something to it. Okay. Like Whatever kind of action that makes. Kind of leaving it open-ended sort of. Um, it's yeah. Like it's not, not completely like, resolved. Maybe. Well, it, it's not in a way that it's like, it's almost like unfinished in the best sense of the word. Mm. You know, like it's, it's like, it, well, open-ended is probably a good way to put it. It's like maybe a song that you listen to and it just stops and fades away. I get what you're saying. And I mean, I'm not exactly sure what the messages are in these works, but I do think yeah. that the, um, there's an emotional, like an emotional language or something like in, in some of them have more active emotion like you know like there's probably some you know anger uh, uncertainty happiness all these things like kind of rolled into one or or another of the paintings that so i mean i kind of feel that too like i'm trying to search for what what <laughs> i don't think i need to know it yeah. specifically it's just the fact that i know like it's like hearing something and and knowing it's beautiful versus like being able to name what bird it was thank you no, you know, that reminds me of Robert Ryman. Robert Ryman is my hero, one of my heroes. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched Art 21, but... Yeah, I've seen a few. Yeah, yeah, well, in grad school, I was really having a difficult time toward the end of it, and I really wanted to be painting, and I, I had specific people telling me I shouldn't paint, and, and so what really shifted me and made me make it through... <laughs> was watching Robert Ryman. It's, uh, it was called, it's in the section called Paradox. And this was in 2009, so it was probably from like 2008 or something. And, and I watched it online, like watched it like 50 times, you know, over, <laughs> may, not one time, one over and over, you know, but like over a course of days. Yeah. It really helped me, you know, because he was talking about, uh, I went to a really conceptual school, you know, and I love conceptual work, but there's, I sometimes feel like I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do and, and I still always am. And do I have to name it, like label it or something? And do I have to, or do I have to know what it, it means before it happens? Like I should, I feel like now I can see that, you know, see it over a course of the course of time. And he was talking about how we used to call it tunes. He, cause he went, moved to New York as a, um, like he lived in like in a really rural area and he moved to New York 
wanting to be in a, like play jazz. And yeah, so he played jazz. I think it was jazz or doo-wop or something he talked about. And he said, uh, we used to call them tunes, you know. You don't have to know what all the backstory is. It, you know, sometimes you know and sometimes you don't, but you don't have to know that when it's a beautiful piece of music. Like, you can just listen to it, you know, and feel all those things that are coming up from it, you know, without having to have someone tell you, you know, I meant it to say this and to do that or whatever. And yeah. that helped me a lot because I really felt like prior to that, I was trying to figure out, am I supposed to be like explaining something? And what I find now is that it's parallel to like what I'm discovering in myself. So, um, I'm like, that can be okay. Like leave that there, you know, let that sit there. You don't have to cover it. You don't have to like make it perfect. You can just let it sit and it's good enough. You know, it's beautiful enough or it's ugly enough or whatever you want to be, but, you know, but it's enough. And I, I my, my uh, mother-in-law is Jewish. And so we do Passover, you know, we do Seder dinner and there's a song in it called Dayenu. And I don't know if you've ever heard that, but Dayenu, Dainu means enough. So there's a song that we talk about, you know, it, it, they're talking about God, like if God uh, did this for them, like freed the slaves or whatever, that would have been enough, you know, and such and such happened. And even that would have been enough. And yet more came to them and that would have been enough. And I think of that a lot of times, like it, it was, a, even though I'm not Jewish, it, it's a lesson for me to think about that. Like, it, you know, Dainu, you don't have to like, solve everything all at once you know let it be and yeah so I, I think that that's kind of what's happening in in the work you know there, there's this like existential kind of thing happening too you know like I'm making these marks and they're coming from me and they're speaking of whatever it is that's coming through me but they don't have to necessarily be like in novel form or whatever you know it could just be like a short story or a haiku Next, I share a bit more on what I see in Kimberly Rose, four new paintings that are featured on the blog. Well, I feel like they greet the viewer, and they 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 sort of say hello to the viewer, and I'm talking about the four neural ones that you've sent uh -huh. me. Um, and like I, I believe I mentioned before, but they 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 are trying to tell me something, and it's it may not be in a it may be in uh, a language I know little about, like say it was Portuguese, you know. <laughs> And I don't. I only know a few words in Portuguese, but I know enough to think like, okay, that. I, I just heard, you know, the painting say such and such, uh -huh. bon dia, or <laughs> you know, and that's enough for me to reply and enter in the painting a little bit more. Oh, um, that's a nice way to say that. Thanks. No thanks. <laughs> the one that you're titling bluish, I feel like in some way, uh, it's it's got like sort of a nature element to me, but it also has some sort of like architecture, like as in rigid like sort of structure to it, but it's very, it's in select areas because uh -huh. of your paint application. Uh -huh. um, so, and yet at the same time, I feel like uh, that, well, they're imaginative places, I think, because the color doesn't, you know, it's not a traditional palette for a landscape <laughs> painting it, you know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. But it doesn't have to be, although that, that one I'm talking about, the bluish in quote in parentheses is, um, um, does have a nice earthy brown there, so that's cool. And then there's some blue, which you can argue is, you know, landscape colors. But, <laughs> um, yeah, 
but yeah, no, I just. I, I think you're very, you're very perceptive, you know, really very perceptive because, you know, I, I wasn't trying to make a landscape painting, but I, I can see that there's structure in it and stepping back and looking at it. Like I see elements that feel like, like I'm in a place, like there's water there maybe, or I'm not sure, you know, like I think of like, um, I mean, I don't, I don't even want to say too specifically because I would love for people to like feel it, you know, yeah. find their own space in it or not, or whatever it is that they're getting out of it. But it's certainly um, like the words you use to describe it. I experienced like that. Uh, uh, those were surprise elements for me. You know, so yeah. when I looked at it, I was like, well, I see, I can kind of see the same sort of things that you're talking about, you know, and part of it may be because um, I tend, it's a really interesting thing for me and that sometimes paintings, sometimes my paintings come pretty quickly and sometimes they <laughs> take longer and they're in stages or whatever, but I am a minimalist at heart <laughs> in so many ways. And I think part of it comes from, I had this awesome teacher, Corbin LaPelle, who uh, had been part of sort of the abstract expressionist time period, you know, who taught me in undergrad. And so I remember he picked up this piece of paper. It wasn't minimalist in that it was like one color or anything, but it was like a, a piece of paper and it had like scribbles on it. And I had never been introduced to anything like that, you know? So it was like, of course, there was a part of me that's like, that's just a piece of paper with scribbles on it. But he offered me the opportunity to appreciate it. You know, he's like, you see this? This is, now that's a painting. I mean, that's a, no, he said, now that's a drawing. And I saw that piece and it's kept, I don't even remember exactly what it looked like, but it meant something so much to me. And it was simple. There was a simplicity to it, you know, and it took me many years to now go, oh, I get that. And so uh, um, I find myself looking at things in that way. Like I'll see like, you know, I know other people do this too, but like see like where people have, you know, uh, try to abate um, graffiti and stuff, you know, and they use the wrong color and it's just, <laughs> you know, and I'll look at that. And I'm like, that's beautiful. You know? So um, so when I made like the initial marks for that blue painting for a long time, that felt like enough. I mean, it wasn't like years away, but you know, it was a few weeks where I just like, it was just sitting there, you know, kind of like that. And, and I thought that was the piece, you know, it had that and some, a little bit of paint and, um, and it wasn't spray paint. I can't use spray paint, but I used, um, I sprayed paint with a, you know, compressor and, sprayed yeah, yeah. Gun. and that was enough for me. And then, so it was interesting to then work on top of it because that had a structure, like a scaffolding underneath it, but it wasn't um, super defined or anything. And I, I let some of it rise out of it and, or stay there. And some stuff got pushed back by other things going on top of it and stuff. So, so yeah, so it was, I feel like it was really perceptive that you saw that happening. And then there's this part where it's like sort of surreal in one part where it's like, it, I'm not sure what it is, but you could think of it as maybe being leaves or it could be whatever, you know, like it's got like blue marks and then there's like a, a more pale color painted into it. And I worked that, like I overworked that in a way and then kind of brought it back. 
And so that was like, it, it kind of like left, like it didn't listen to me, <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm going to be really fresh and I'm not going to like overwork anything. And then here I find myself, I'm not kidding you. Like I just kept going back in and back in and back in until finally I kind of decided, okay, maybe well, I'll let it sit there like being overdone and then like maybe even make it come out more like spray paint around it so that it's like, you know, outlining it, put it. You know, I don't know if you know who the artist Allison Miller is, but she um, she was is someone whose work I really like and had studied a lot when I was trying to figure out how to paint. And then I've actually become friends with her and and have even taken some classes with her, like uh, workshops with her. And she talked about how like she did a studio visit with one of her friends, um, another artist, and who said, you know, like if you want that piece to like stand out for people why not draw a circle around it you know and so i started thinking in terms of that oh, wow. like you can make if you want something to, to be there make it obvious you know and, right yeah. <laughs> it's like a no-brainer but yeah. it doesn't yeah stop. so <laughs> and make it up and you'll see if you ever look at some of her stuff you will see something circled and i've taken that yeah. into account you know and and not maybe not necessarily literally i don't necessarily like those weren't really i wasn't really drawing around them but i emphasized that part and it was a part that i was trying for like 12 hours to like make it go away <laughs> and then i'm like celebrate that part you know and so and yeah. that i think that that um that part affects the way that you i mean like when you're talking about that it made that it made itself that and i and i to have experienced that in looking at that particular painting. So I really appreciate that you saw the same thing. <laughs> Without seeing it, I wouldn't have had anything to say. <laughs> Kimberly Rowe and I continue the conversation about her painting with the working title, Bluish. But one more thing about it before you know we talk about something else is I feel like, to me, it, it resembles a Japanese print of some kind. So I feel like there's definitely this this composition that's going from top uh, bottom to top, uh -huh. and th there's also from the bottom left and the bottom right they're converging almost in the center, uh -huh. which you know that's where the architecture is for me, and so there's just amount a right amount of nature and architecture in, in the painting to me, and so and that's you know I can't help but think of like some type of a landscaped. Uh, you know, incorporating a waterfall and, you know, not in a sort of cliche way, but, I, you know, hopefully that makes some sense. But I love, I love those kinds of paintings, you know, like there's a whole collection of, uh, I think, Japanese and Chinese um, sort of calligraphic paintings or, you know, brush paintings in at the Berkeley Art Museum and in their collection. I have found myself in, at times just walking right past them because I want to go see like what they have in that gallery. That's, you know, like they have some that are like, well, they've just, I haven't even been to the new museum, but they've, they've built a new museum and opened it. But the older one had some galleries with a permanent collection of those. So it's easy to pass by them and not think about them as much as like the, I want to go see the newest and best and, you know, great, you know, the new color of the <laughs> moment or whatever. You know, sometimes it's easy to walk past those, but like those things, they're super important. And I was a printmaker and I had a, I had a couple of amazing teachers, but one of them, she just, uh, she introduced us to a lot of, you know, just talked about a, a lot of the older work and also a lot of the, the 
newer work, you know, but uh, I think of like how they talk about how like all these prints used to be used, like woodcuts used to just be used for packing, you know, like, I don't know if you knew that. They made them on like newspaper kind of or newsprint and they would just, when they would export things, they would just like pack it, use it for packing oh, yeah. stuff. So people got to see those things, but they were like, they made them so much. They made so many things because it was part of their like daily practice a lot of times. Yeah. So both the painting and the printmaking are just super beautiful and important. And I learned a lot about like space. Um, doing yeah. that. So I wasn't specifically aiming for that, but I, I saw that too. And I think that there's something um, in most of these new pieces, especially that blue one and the purple rain one, um, where the, where there's, sort of that hierarchy is not from the back, uh, not from the back to the front, but the bottom to the top, like you said. Yeah. 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 And I also worked on those, um, speaking of bottom to top is that sometimes I have like a second level. that's like a catwalk in my studio and um, oh, yeah. yeah. So like particularly on the purple one, I actually painted some of it from the top. Oh, wow. I poured stuff or spilled stuff or, made marks and stuff from the top and i was thinking about um uh, african how I, I don't know if you've ever seen them but they're i think they're west african housing structures where the uh people paint their the, like the whole community will paint the houses the painted houses and they're like a lot of them are black and white and really graphic they're really awesome and they're the other it's black and white and then there will be like this earth color kind of like oh, wow. almost like linen you know and uh, so that'll add that third element and stuff. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because that has informed my, the way I've been working lately, because um, in some of these pictures, you see the whole crowd like working on the front of it. And, and some of them are sitting on other parts and working in the middle part of it. And there are some people, they're like on a parapet or something like that parapet and like leaning over and drawing onto the thing from above and so yeah so like there's anything possible and so I, I I'm assuming that those Chinese and Japanese ones weren't made quite like that but but you know when you're making a big tall painting sometimes you have to like do what you have to do and maybe that affected the way it appeared if you don't mind me just going back for a second about the scale thing too there's something about not being able to see the whole thing when you're making it that affects yeah. that changes like not only it changes the scale, it changes the freshness of it. It changes a lot of different things in it. And that that's part of why I think about like when I'm like lying on a painting and working on that and stuff. It's kind of like when you're a little kid and you're, uh, I don't know if you ever did this, but colored or drew or whatever, lying on the floor, you know. On your stomach. <laughs> and working like that, you're like, your, your head is like here, you know. You can't see the whole picture. You're just like. But as a kid, when you're on your stomach and doing that, you're not, um, you can't pull away so easily. And so you have to stay in that moment and not like yeah. do it. So yeah, that, that's a, that's a, another thing that probably affected that, the way that looks. Well, one of the questions I want to ask you is, uh, let's say we'll talk about the, the four newer paintings or the newest ones. Can you use three to five words to describe those paintings? I think of the word intuitive. I think of the word uh, rugged and there's a, a sort of a combination musical kind of thing that I'm thinking of. Like, like I feel like there's a musicality or a rhythmic, there's something rhythmic in the work. Um, 
you know, I'm a fan of jazz. Uh, so I think that, I think that jazz um, is part of, or I don't know if it's just jazz because I love all kinds of music, but I mean, there's something in that. And I'm sorry, those are not three, that was like 25 words, but <laughs> so how about intuitive, rugged, rugged and um, musical? Uh, that's three. Yeah. Cool. cool. I like musical. And as I was preparing for the interview, I was listening to, I, I mentioned to you, I wanted to tell you about this band. Uh, they're called Moom. Moom? And they're from How Moom? are they spelled? How's it spelled? M-U-M. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and they're from Iceland. I so. love Icelandic stuff. Um, Moom. So what? describe them a little bit to me. It's atmospheric. It's It can be... There's some really cool experimentation. Like the this one particular album, Smile Wound. Yeah. It's like, I think it's their latest one. And... Um, like sort of electronic sounds, but it's it's almost like I think you really enjoy it, especially uh, I can't even think of that one song, but I was led to them to listen to them again because of your work, or maybe I was listening to them and somehow saw that in the work, if that makes any sense. Like I don't know what which came first, like whether I was led to the the work via the music or the music via the work. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, it was a it was a paired experience, like looking at your work and then listening to this band. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about the name when you were saying it, like, um, yeah, because it's a palindrome, which I'm, I really love. My birthday is twelve twenty one or twenty one twelve. You know, so um, I, I really like palindromes for one, and then it also is mum, like either quiet or mother. <laughs> so I got those different things. But you know, um, I am really super into music when I'm making work, and that that. Thing in grad school when I said my first experience I had two different crit groups and one teacher loved the work and one didn't like it at all and the one who did talked about that she saw musicality in my work and yeah. um, and I've had a lot of people tell me that and um, that makes me feel super good <laughs> I'm really proud of that musicality thing like I'm really into music I love music I listen to music when I'm working I often feel like when I'm painting I'm dancing like even if I'm not really dancing but it feels like a dance to me yeah. like painting is like a like you're a choreographer. choreographer yeah I've learned a few different things in when I'm painting and listening to music I've learned a lot about music I I took music theory yeah. in college for like a a semester or two there's such a genius by some musicians you know like just for instance like the Beatles like if you think about like all the different kinds of things they pulled from and then they put into a song like and I recently heard that like the, the guy that they, they call the fifth Beatle who just recently passed away that he had a lot to do with that like he would envision like this whole thing and like bring in like the Indian instruments and stuff like that you know but like I listen to the stuff and the phrasing and all of those kinds of things the speed of the music and then it slows down or it changes, um, changes scale or something like that. And we were talking about scale. I think about that a lot in the music and I, I hope that I can like have that available in my work sometimes. Like it'll shift gears and in, you know, midstream or something in the painting or something like that. But I, I really appreciate that. So I think that music um, makes a lot of sense for me from yeah. my work. 
Do you make with intention? And is it possible to know what your work is about? Is there a read? And whose job is it to do so, you or the viewer? Yeah, I definitely make with intention, but I don't make with narrative, I would say. Sometimes I might discover some narrative within something later on, but um, there's like this drive in me wants to like let something out. But so there's like, that's like, that is intentional, but it's sometimes it's like intending to put it out there and then like respond to it or figure it out, you know, after the fact. And so I think um, I noticed this with Amy Silman one time, she came to my grad school and she did like a workshop with us and then it was so cool. And she um, then did studio visits and stuff. But I was telling her that when I was looking through her work at this one period of time, probably like 2007 or eight, that I noticed that certain compositions were repeated. Like, I mean, like things happened in the same area, you know, quadrants or whatever, you know, and not in a bad way, but just that I saw this like archetypal kind of thing happening. And she's, and she was surprised. Like she said, I didn't even notice that. I never recognized it, but I see it now in my own stuff. Like, I go, wow, it'll happen with different things like a color, like I'll be using completely different colors and the same color will come out of whatever I'm mixing. And you know, I go, whoa, that happened like three years ago and it's happening now or or like um, I'll divide things, you know, like where the horizon line is or, or into like three parts or different things and not even realize I'm doing it and then I'll see it in another thing or I'll see the same almost the same marks or the same colors in the same spot, you know, that's, yeah. so to me, yeah. like, to me that that's a, a, uh, a read that I'm having or, a, you know, a discovery that I'm having, uh, that there has to be meaning to it. You know, like, even if it's like the most abstract thing that people could say, like, what's that supposed to mean? It look, just looks like you scribbled on there or whatever, you know, but there has to be some kind of meaning because it keeps coming up. And I think of like mythology or something like that, where like, things repeat over, you know, generations, you know, archetypal things that keep circles or whatever it is, you know, like people will be like, Oh, that person owns that. Cause they use all, they use like triangles and in their work all the time. And then I'm like, yeah, well, they've been using triangles for kind of a long time now, you know? <laughs> so like, I feel like those archetypal things have to be like, there's something important to us. And it's like, you asked about like, what, um, is it the viewers? Um, responsibility or my responsibility I think to discover the meaning and I think that it's both it's like I want to discover things from my work and I want other people to discover if they feel like it you know like I don't want to tell them like I don't want to beat the ideas into their head and I also don't necessarily want to describe every single thing and what they're supposed to think about it because that kind of like ruins it for me. You know, I want them to be able to <laughs> and ruin it, it ruins it for them, you know, kind of yeah. like, I think yeah. about like that um, idea of like letting people give, like do things for you or whatever, because um, I, like, if you don't let anybody do things for you and you do everything for yourself, then uh, you're, you're uh, keeping them from the gift of giving kind of thing. And I kind of think that like, I'm keeping them from the gift of discovering if I tell them everything. But by the same token, I have to say that I do think that I really get a lot out of like hearing someone talk about their piece or something, you know? And so just like hearing like 
like the general thing from people, I think is really helpful sometimes, you know, because I think it's a really beautiful thing for people to like get a chance to like be able to enter into the work because at whatever level they're, they're experiencing it at, you know, like think about like, I don't know if this happened with you, but like I remember when I lived in, I moved to Los Angeles a long while back and lived there for eight years. And I remember like going to, going to like LACMA and I got to see like so much cool stuff, but I had no um, understanding of how important that work was. It's almost like reading a book and then reading a book again and going like, oh, wow, that's like a different book. I just like learned so much more. I understood so much more in that, you know, and I hope that people at whatever level they're at can get something from whatever work they're looking at, whether it's mine or someone else's. And then I hope they get to a chance to go see it again when they're 50 or when they're 75 or whatever, and they see something different and learn something different. That's the cool thing about like this sort of, like Prince just died and he's gone, but his music's still there, you know? Like we have that chance to like re-experience it and re-experience it and, and like have different thoughts and, and relate it to different memories and stuff. I think that's cool. Do you have an artist quote you would like to share? Well, yes, I do. <laughs> um, actually, you know, it's so funny because I was like, I'm trying to think of like, I'm really, I, I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies um, when I can. I'm really interested in like how someone experienced life over time and stuff. But um, I was like, what's the quote that stands out for me? And I remembered that on Facebook, there's a spot, they don't really make it prominent now, but there's a, a thing that says about, and in about, I had a quote that I had put. Um, and then I, and I was thinking it was Abbas Kiarostami who said it. It's K-I-A-R-O-S-T-A-M-I, and he's an Iranian filmmaker and visual artist, and amazing. So I had related it to him and thought that the quote was his quote, um, and I don't really remember if the quote was alongside his work and that's where I discovered it. Or if I was thinking about his work, maybe I was thinking about his work and I was looking something up to like relate it to. And then I found this quote, but the quotes actually by Franz Kafka. And, um, and I'm just going to preface where, why I was thinking this was that there was a big show at um, the Berkeley art museum and Pacific film archive in the old building. Um, probably like, maybe eight years ago, something like that. And Abbas Kiarostami, you know, in Iran, a lot of things are like, you know, censored and stuff, but he's so internationally beloved that it's hard for him to be, for him to be quelled kind of. And um, if you ever get a chance, try to find some of his films that he did. Uh, you can, I think they're on Netflix, some of them, but um, they had like a whole, the film archive had like a whole month of films and I went to everyone. And then, they also had like a show of his work and he had, uh, there were installations that were really interesting, like kind of sort of conceptual and different things. But there was this one gallery that had these photographs that he had done and they were, I'm assuming they were probably in the mountains of Iran and there were snow, there were trees, but the tr it was black and white. They were all black and white. And so the trees kind of looked like silhouettes or black and, tr and leafless. And they were in snow. And sometimes the um, horizon line would be high, so you'd see mostly snow and then just see the black. So, you know, it was from different perspectives. 
they just stunned me and they were amazing. And so this is the quote, and it's from The Trees by Franz Kafka. For we are as tree trunks in the snow. Apparently, they are merely resting on the surface of the snow. And a little push would be enough to knock them over. No, that's not the case, for they are firmly attached to the ground. But see, even that is only seemingly the case. You know, I'm really into uh, paradox and perception, and, um, and so that's a special one for me. And, and so I thought it was really cool to have found something that related to this visual thing that impacted me so much, and then find that it was so philosophical. You know, I don't know if he even intended it to be philosophical, but that's what I got out of it. You mentioned magic with music, and I think that's one of the magic, the things of magic in painting, too. You know, like, you know, it's all perception. I mean, really, think about how amazing that is that on a rectangle or a square or whatever, a million people can work on that same piece and it'd always be different. And, you know, and it looks often looks like something real and it's not and even the things that look real are abstract because they're not the real thing and yeah so like it's I mean it's such a real it's so relative to to life experience well thank you Kimberly for uh, chatting with me you're welcome thank you very much I'm, I'm really excited about our new friendship hopefully um, yeah, oh, yeah it's been really fun to talk with you and and hear your thoughts and hear your questions it's been good for me. Thanks. Great. You're welcome. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. Thank you very okay. much. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been Oddcast. I'm your host, Philip J. Mellon. Thanks for listening. And keep the dialogue going. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you this. Define abstract art. Oh, come on. Okay, here's a better one. What does this painting mean? <sighs> I'm getting nowhere with this. Forget it. Hotcast <laughs> Home is A H T C A S T dot com. Thanks again. I, I, I just don't see how I can be in a, how I can paint and not have me be in the painting. And so I feel like that's something that I'm like really working on is like being in the present. I really want that to be in my work.